the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm looking at Aer Lingus's objections to the 32 million cap on passenger numbers at Dublin Airport and the latest from the World Economic Summit in Davos. Irish Times economic correspondent Omar Kennedy is in the Swisky Resort for the Irish Times and you'll hear from him in the second half of the show. As well as listening to some of the top world leaders, Owen had a sit-down with the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, who, among other things, gave him a hint on when the next general election might be held. But first to the passenger cap at Dublin Airport. Planning restrictions impose a ceiling of $32 million a year, a figure likely hit by DAA in 2023. So unless planners relax the cap, there will be no growth in traffic at Dublin Airport for the foreseeable future. With this in mind, Aer Lingus recently commissioned economist Jim Power to conduct an economic analysis of the impact on the Irish economy of this passenger cap at Dublin Airport. Donald Moriarty is Chief Corporate Affairs Officer at Aer Lingus and he joined me in studio to discuss the findings of this report and the likely implications for Aer Lingus in terms of its own growth at Dublin Airport this year and next. I began by asking Donald to take me through the main findings in the Jim Power report. Erling has commissioned this report out of concern, really, about the capacity issues at Dublin Airport and uh, the constraints that we see that are, are imminent and may be applied soon, and really to get a sense of the economic impact of those constraints if they were applied. And the, um, the, the assessment is quite stark. Uh, essentially, what uh, the Jim Power report said was that for every uh, million passengers not allowed uh, to come through Dublin Airport, that would have a 1.4 billion impact on the Irish economy in terms of expenditure, direct, indirect and induced. That's what the Irish economy would lose. Exactly. And then secondly, that would have a knock-on effect in terms of um, exchequer tax revenues of over 300 million, 322 uh, million. And then thirdly, it would have an impact on direct, indirect and induced jobs at a level of 37,000. So that's for every 1 million passengers not allowed uh, to come into Dublin airports. So just to set the backdrop for... Yeah people, because of a planning permission in, in 2007 to allow for the expansion of the airport, Terminal 2, new runway and so forth, there were a couple of conditions put in place which mm. have a, a big impact on its operations. Now, one is that it can't exceed a, a cap of 32 million across yep. the terminals at Dublin Airport. And Dublin Airport uh, last year hit that ceiling. Um, and then the other restriction is on nighttime flying. There can only be a certain number of flights during the night up to 7am, I think. And... I know that's correct, a, a correct. concern for so, you guys because the 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. period is a really important... Yeah, so there, there are two uh, planning sets of planning restrictions that came into being at, in around the same time but actually aren't connected. So firstly, there's the, the passenger cap restriction. Mm. That was set in 2007, I think, at the time when the planning permission was granted for Terminal 2. And a 32 million passenger cap was set at that time. Now, the, the setting of the cap was linked to the ground infrastructure around the airport, not uh, within the airport. Transport uh, to and from the airport. Exactly. Station. That's principally what it was. So it was, it, it was set uh, at that time. And in 2019, uh, the 32 million passenger um, limit was essentially reached. And um, there's a risk that in th this year and next year, it'll be, it'll be um, exceeded once, once again. And that's of real concern because I suppose Dublin Airport has been aware for many years of the growth plans of, of airlines um, and 
you know, Dublin Airport as a hub uh, is which is government policy is is uh, designed essentially to 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 expand and act as a hub, but there's this artificial constraint uh, potentially yeah. being placed so, on on that growth. So, state-owned company DAA operates yeah. Dublin Airport. So, is it their fault that we've hit this cap and nothing has been done since 2007 to try and get it removed? They've now put in for planning permission, haven't they, with Fingal yeah. County Council um, to get it increased, and we know that they want to grow to 40 million. Correct. So, so they made a planning application just before Christmas uh, to uh, make much needed improvements in terms of infrastructure at Dublin Airport, but also to increase the passenger cap from 32 to 40 million. The planning process is the planning process. Mm. You know, there's there's a requirement to make a, an application to Fingal County Council. There's a, a you know a consultation process and an appeal process ultimately to an, a, an board planola. Uh, the concern that we have is that the the application uh, was made very late in terms of uh, that the risk is now imminent and manifest and the planning process takes a couple of years to to, to work through. So is uh, DAA to blame for that? Well, uh, I mean, their original plan was to, to make the planning application back in 2019 when the capital investment programme was developed and approved um, and that wasn't, uh, wasn't made in 2019. So the plan was to make a infrastructure planning application and a and a uh, passenger cap increase application. Uh, That didn't happen in the way that it should have, and then COVID happened, and um, nothing really had happened for a couple of years. So, uh, you know... So it is the I mean, it is in the sense that uh, certainly with the benefit of hindsight and perhaps with a bit more foresight, the application being made in a timely manner could have stopped... Uh, the imminent risk that we're currently facing um, manifesting itself, essentially. Now, you've talked about the impact on the, the wider economy Correct. of not going, of not being allowed to increase the past the 32 million mm. passenger cap and the lost jobs and the lost income and so forth. What would be the impact on the Aer Lingus operation out of Dublin Airport? First of all, contextualise how big the Aer Lingus operation is at Dublin Airport. How many passengers, how many flights, etc.? Yeah, so taking the last normalised full year, which is 2019, Erlingus would have been responsible for, I think, 9.7 million passengers in the airport of the the near 32 million that was in that year. And that was 7.3 million on short haul, 2.4 million on long haul. But the real interesting uh, part or the telling part of that is that just, you know, just about um, 20% of that of that passenger cohort was connecting passenger using Dublin Airport as a hub, connecting onto our long haul or off of our long haul onto our short haul. So how many? How many are we talking about? So we're, we're talking about one point one point eight million passengers, one point seven one point eight million passengers. Where transfer? Where where transfer passengers yeah. of one type or another? Right. Now let's roll forward to twenty three. Yeah, so uh, tw- we don't have the, fu- the full stats yet, but they wouldn't well, sure be they, they wouldn't be too dissimilar in, in terms of in terms of those 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 breakouts or those percentages. So ju- nine point seven million. Yeah, and uh, and a critical part, close to twenty percent of, of those passengers would be would be connecting, and, and the thing about that is so that's about two million. Say. Yeah, roughly. So only a little bit more than two thousand and nineteen uh, in terms of passenger numbers. In, in yeah. terms of tra- transfer passengers and. And kind of bang on. Is that a little disappointing? <laughs> if you don't no, mind me no, saying so, no, given uh, the huge demand there was last year no, for no, just just to explain how the transfer passenger works. So not you, uh, not just transfer passenger. Yeah. 
the overall passenger numbers, if your passenger numbers were the same last year as in 2019, is that, I mean, you're threading water, is that not? Not really, when you look at what happened in the intervening period, so. Of course, uh, we had a couple of years of COVID, yeah. but then we had huge demand, a bulging demand in, in 22 yeah, and 23 to go abroad and get well, some sun or get some skiing or whatever. Well, capacity is constrained by the, the fleet you ha you have. So we ha we have the fleet we have. We, we currently have uh, about... Um, 33 short-haul air aircraft, um, 23 uh, long-haul aircraft, which will grow to 29 in the next um, uh, in the next year and a half or so. Uh, but you're you're constrained by the fleet uh, fleet you have. So no, it's it's not disappointing in in any sense. But the the critical part of it, and this is where the the Dublin Airport capacity constraint issue is is a concern, is that growing connecting traffic is uh, is key to the development of Dublin Airport. Uh, as a as a hub airport, and I mentioned just under twenty percent uh, of our passengers will be connecting in one form or another on some of our flights. And I'll give you the, the example of um, our Hartford Hartford Connecticut to Dublin flight. That's not a natural point to point market. A very significant portion of that aircraft uh, coming in would be connecting what onto portion? other other but up to thirty percent of of specific routes would be connecting flows of traffic rather than from US to Dublin from, from Dublin to US is it, is it a similar trend? Well, well it, it return journeys. So from Hartford to Dublin connecting on to other points in the UK and Europe and then vice versa on that. So about a third roughly speaking. Roughly on mm. on some of our routes. Mm. So the, the the concern about uh, uh, growth is that you know we had planned and we had committed to uh, purchasing um, XLR aircraft. So starting at the end of this year uh, and into 2025, we will be receiving six uh, A321 XLR aircraft. So growing um, uh, our fleet and growing our operations accordingly. So that will that will translate into uh, greater depth and frequency on some existing routes. Are you and, retiring and, some aircraft? And, and, uh, and on uh, on new routes. When you get those, are you retiring? No, we're up? not. Uh, Is that a net gain? A six? That, that's a net gain for a period. There are fluctuations over the next seven, eight year period in the plan, but that will be a, okay. that will be a net so gain. So all things being equal, if there was no cap in place and you get these six new aircraft at yep. the end of this year, how many passengers uh, would you hope to put through Dublin Airport in 2025 well, well, if there was no cap? Yeah, well, I can't calculate specifically what that would be, but it would certainly, but certainly grow um, from from our current or from our 2019 high of 9.7 up to up to uh, 11, 12 million potentially. So that's... that's so that's potentially next year, there could be somewhere between, there could be a couple of million passengers who might have been flying with Aer Lingus uh, through Dublin won't actually be flying because of this cap. It'll certainly constrain us, but it's not just Aer Lingus. There have been growth plans clearly articulated by other airlines uh, in Dublin mm. Airport. Uh, so, so it's not just uh, not just Aer Lingus that would uh, would uh, suffer in the context. And and critically, as the Jim Power report outlines, uh, it, it's the economic impact of of constraining uh, passenger growth at, at Dublin Airport is is very significant. By the way, out of every million passengers that you can't go above the 32 million, how many of those will be tourists? Yeah. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of people coming and going on business or visiting relatives yeah, or whatever. How uh, many will be tourists? I, I, I couldn't calculate that off the top of my head, but you know the calculation that the Jim Power report imp did was arriving passengers in Dublin Airport, so mm. that would be a combination of, of, of tourists and business, business traffic. Now, some people listening to this might say, well, yeah, okay, you're going to be constrained at Dublin Airport, but you operate out of Shannon, you operate uh, out of Cork, why don't you put more traffic through there? And maybe more sun destinations 
through there? Because a lot of people come from that neck of the woods, come from the Midwest or come from the Southwest to Dublin to fly on to... So really, the, it's based upon uh, demand. And the demand isn't, it, it genuinely is, isn't there for that. As I mentioned, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the growth that uh, I've spoken about is critically dependent on those connecting flows of, of traffic. And the connection and the opportunity to connect is through Dublin Airport uh, to various destinations but across surely, Europe. Of, of the 9.7 million, I don't know whether you've ever done this analysis of Airlingus, surely hundreds of thousands, at least hundreds of thousands, must be coming from Cork, Kerry, Limerick, uh, Clare, etc. And if you were to allocate at least some of your flights, some destination flights, I guess, yeah. to Cork and Shannon, uh, would they not mop up uh, that kind of demand? You know, we we look at we look at the demand um, profiles uh, in all of the airports, and we we we. Uh, resource our, our flights and our aircraft to where the demand sits. Uh, putting an aircraft there will not will not draw in extra demand, and we're 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 genuinely of the view that we're right sized in terms of how we deploy our aircraft. The the it, it really is uh, the the passengers' decision and the customers' decision as to where they want to travel, and for, for the for the large part, and for the the majority, they want to travel through Dublin as the key connecting point and arrival point and departure point uh, in relation to Ireland. That's that's the reality and that's what our analysis shows. Now, Aer Lingus has, you commissioned a report from uh, Jim Power. Uh, it's been published. We're here speaking about it, obviously. Yep. Are you making a submission to Fingal County Council in relation to the uh, CAP? Yeah, I mean, the, the application was... Uh, uh, the planning application was submitted at the end of December, just before Christmas. We have a period of time which hasn't expired yet to... to coming up, though, to, it's coming to, up to deadline. Uh, at the end of the month, yeah. to comment on it. Uh, we, we're very supportive of the increase from 32 million to 40 million. That's a, a, absolutely the case. So we're very supportive of DA's application in, in that regard. We may have comments and observations to make on the the much needed improvements and the infrastructure piece element, which is a very big portion of the uh, of the submission made before Christmas. Right. What's your view on that? Uh, broadly speaking, we're supportive of of the infrastructure. That's uh, because it's required uh, for the future uh, future of the airport. We have some uh, views on aspects of it that might might quite uh, accord with uh, the current plans, but they're not fundamental. Critically, what we're looking for is terminal. Um, uh, growth an additional pier on uh, an additional pier on the south of the airport. There's also plans for an additional pier towards the north, and all of that infrastructure is is important for the for the future development of the airport. So we're in in in, in broad strokes we're supportive. Mm. Now all of those changes would have to be paid for by DAA, mm. and Dublin well, Airport is a regulated uh, entity uh, essentially, yeah. and DAA argues that the passenger charges are just simply too low at the moment to allow them to invest the kind of money that they need to invest to improve the infrastructure. And Aer Lingus has, as I understand it, has uh, has been against increasing the passenger charges, and maybe for good reason. But nonetheless, DAA uh, needs the money to improve the facilities. You want DAA to improve the facilities. Yeah. Uh, firstly, it isn't DAA that pays for it. It's, it's ultimately the passenger charge. So it's ultimately... Well, it's the, CA the, the the Come on, it's CA that builds it and contracts it and, uh, so, and, and so, pays the bill for that. And so, yeah, sure, it has to be It has to be billed back to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in terms of uh, how that pricing determination is made, that goes through a very rigorous uh, regulatory process. Formerly the Commission for Aviation... Uh, Commission uh, for aviation regulation, currently the IAA. So there's very uh, there's a very thorough economic 
uh, analysis uh, that goes into uh, determining that price cap. And that that has been done. Um, it has been done uh, prior to COVID on an interim basis since. And uh, uh, and essentially what that determination has, has come out with is a pricing level that is sufficient to do everything that the airport needs, including the capital investment. Plan. Not in the view of the DAA. Not in view of the DAA, but the independent regulator, and we all have... We're all entitled and we all did participate in that process. And then the regulator um, the regulator uh, issues a determination and they've done so. And in their view, uh, um, the, the uh, price cap is sufficient, not just to, uh, to, to fund the normal running of the airport, but to build the, um, uh, the, the uh, infrastructure that's required. And just, a, just a, one quick point on that. The key determinant of... of um, Pricing is passengers, and the passenger passenger numbers. Uh, the more passengers, the more individual uh, charges are 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 paid, and that provides the funding to 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 run the airport and to build the infrastructure in simple terms. So key to actually um, uh, being comfortable with the development of the infrastructure and the funding of it is having an appropriate, uh, unconstrained increase in passenger numbers. What would the average fare have been out of Dublin 2019 for Aer Lingus? Well, I'll tell you is we, we operate in a very price competitive uh, market. We have to calibrate and set our fares at a, at a rate that's competitive. We compete tooth and nail with carriers. Airfares have, have been going up though. Even uh, Michael O'Leary has said it and they're going to continue to go they, for, they have, uh, for some uh, time. So if airfares can go up, why can't passenger charges? Yeah, input costs have gone up in terms of airfares, principally driven by fuel. That's the key the key driver of of uh, increasing costs, supply chain costs have uh, have already increased as well. But on your point is why charges can't go up. All of those issues, including inflationary costs, were considered by the regulator. Uh, but in in the view of the regulator, the pricing as it was set, including as it's determined critically by the passenger numbers, is appropriate. So all of those things are considered in the regulatory process. We mentioned the um, the, the crimp on nighttime sure. flying. Um, just explain to us how, how that works and why it's so important to the likes of Lingus and Ryanair, let's say. Yeah, so... so um, Back in the same period of time, 2006, 2007, uh, there was a uh, planning permission for the North Runway. And linked to that, there was a nighttime uh, flight restriction uh, that, uh, you know, arguably, and this is an argument currently uh, uh, being discussed with the regulators, arguably applied constraints uh, to nighttime movements at a level of 65 uh, uh, nighttime movements. And also... Uh, con- removing the the normal six to seven hour as a key hour in terms of nighttime movements. So what does that mean? The six to seven hour, six a.m. seven six a.m. seven a.m. is the critical first wave departure. The red eye flights, essentially. It's, it's the cri- and it's 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 a critical departure time because it sets up um, the day. Uh, it sort of it aligns with slots that have been secured by airlines and airports. All over the uh, all over Europe and all over the world, to, uh, wherever they're flying to. So it's critical that 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 it's maintained. It's also key in terms of connecting traffic. So th- those connections that I spoke to you about earlier. So those arriving passengers uh, on North Atlantic uh, flying into Dublin want to connect to a flight to Rome, to Paris, to uh, to London Heathrow. They connect on to those uh, first wave departures in, in the morning. So it's critical 
for the operation, the successful operation of, of uh, Dublin Airport uh, as, as a hub airport. And the reality is since um, 2009, 2010, there have been significantly more than these 65 movements uh, per night up to, up to date. Now, the, the, the potentially good news in this, uh, on this front is that the, um, the new um, Air Noise Competent Authority has issued a, a proposal, which is a, a noise-based scheme. So it gives a noise envelope within which um, uh, the airport... So rather de- than the, the number of flights, yeah. it's how much noise is generated overnight, Correct. essentially. And the planes are more efficient, they're quieter, they're... Yeah. So, so new aircraft, new technology aircraft are, from a noise perspective, are up to 50% quieter than their, their predecessors. Mm. Uh, so that's the case with our new A320 aircraft, our new A321 um, aircraft as well. Those those new engine technology, uh, th- those new technology engines are significantly quieter than predecessors. Right. So, anyway, how long is it going to take for for some relief to be granted on this front? So, on the because the, the DA's the, card has been marked uh, on this, right? Uh, on the noise on the noise front, um, the uh, ANCA um, noise scheme um, has been issued. It's currently under appeal to Import Planola. So, we'd be hopeful that Import Planola will issue its decision uh, quickly. Uh, and so that issue will go away as an issue, we would hope. Um, in terms of the passenger cap issue, that is uh, uh, in many ways a more concerning issue because the the constraint is, uh, is more imminent and the things that need to be done to address that constraint um, uh, aren't, aren't clear. One of the things we're recommending be done is that Transfer passengers, those passengers that I told you about that never leave the ambit of the inside of the airport, don't get counted. Uh, don't get counted uh, and are excluded entirely because they they are really not relevant to the to the external infrastructure because they never touch it. Yeah. Now, those who are against the expansion of the airport would say, "Well, that's a bit of a tree car trick. Mm. Those people are still going through the airport, and not counting them is you know mm. creates a bit of an illusion uh, that they're not going through the airport." Well, but but if you if you go back to the the original rationale for the the, the restriction it was based upon uh, uh, the the ground transport to the airport and in and around the airport mm. and if you have a cohort to passengers that don't touch that don't well, come in the uh, front door why, why would they be relevant yeah. to it you know yeah okay now what is the what is the AA being saying to you as an airline about your plans for uh, 2024 as a result of the cap you know assuming that uh, if everybody flies the same routes and so forth, they're going to hit a cap uh, this year. So how is it going to be managed? Well, uh, there was a proposal by DAA to um, to restrict ad hoc and charter flights. Um, now, ad hoc and charter flights are a very critical part of our operation and of ma- uh, many airlines' operations. So so j- just just to give you an example, there's there, there are key um, operation, uh, key events. For example, we're, we're sponsoring uh, the... Erlingus uh, College Football Classic, and we have charter operations that bring teams and um, fans and bands to 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 those um, to that event. There's also the Europe, Europa League final this year, and if that has a two has two attractive teams, could be will, Liverpool. It could be Liverpool. Uh, there will be charter flights uh, operated by multiple airlines to to to, to bring. Um, um, fans to, to, to that game. So the banning of ad hoc and uh, um, charter flights is very impactful actually reputationally, but also in the Jim Power um, report, it was estimated that banning those types of flights would have a, 
up to 500 million per annum impact uh, on on the on the Irish economy. So the the airlines rightly rejected that proposal uh, uh, f- from Dublin Airport. So is that off the table? It's been rejected. We believe it's off the table, but it's been absolutely be- rejected by, by by all the a- airlines. So uh, I think the key to managing um, the passenger cap within the the short term is addressing those passengers which shouldn't be counted in the first place, which I just uh, spoke to you about, but also, um, you know, the the airport needs to look at all measures that it can take, uh, whether they be regulatory or, or practical, uh, to to manage uh, while the planning application is. Well, is give us a give us a, a practical example of a practical measure that they might be able to impose. So we believe that the discounting of transfer of passengers uh, will provide headroom in 2024, certainly, to avoid any other... That's any other slightly reason. controversial, but anyway, OK. okay. Uh, and again, it'll provide equivalent headroom in, in, in 2025. And, you know, what has to be hoped for is that the pl- regulatory and planning process um, uh, concludes in a way before this really impacts. But the risk is uh, the risk is that it begins to impact. Uh, well, what's an alternative to banning ad hoc flights? Uh, as I said, the, the counting, the transfer passenger. So that's uh, the only that's the only. Well, well that's one. There, 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 there's potentially other approaches that could be taken in terms of interim planning applications. But really, that's not something that we have received any clarity on uh, at this point from, um, fr- from the airport. And just in, in terms of your own planning for this year, mm-hmm. are there flights or routes that you are hoping to get off the ground or additional capacity that you're hoping to put on routes uh, in 2024 that you're now having to uh, shelve? Uh, no, we're proceeding as as per our plan, uh, as per our, our, our schedule that had been finalised in, in the late part of last year. Next year, we're, we're uh, commencing our services to Denver, Colorado, recommencing our services to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Sorry, is that 24 or 25? Uh, 24, sorry, this year. Yeah. Uh, Denver, uh, Colorado. Uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Right. So there, there are two new transatlantic routes that are commencing uh, this year. We also have some additional uh, services uh, on short haul. So we're implementing our plan as it was planned without any without any change. And DA is giving you the thumbs up for that? Uh, or have they said to you, mm, yeah, some of those uh, might be a problem? There's been no indication that there's going to be any issues, so we're proceeding as uh, as per our plan. Right. Okay. So you haven't had to drop any routes or drop extra capacity, maybe on some routes. No. I mean, our concern, uh, uh, to be clear, is that our, our future growth in terms of uh, additional aircraft. So we've got those six LR XLR aircraft coming, starting at the end of this year, and the balance of them in 2025. So that's going to represent a an expansion. Uh, uh, in our in our network and in our services in in 2025 onwards. And again, with these new routes and all things being equal, and you know, no recession and huge demand still for uh, travel. How many passengers would you expect to carry through Dublin Airport this year? You'll see a, a marginal growth on our previous peak. Uh, in, so it was nine point seven, might be ten. Yeah, ten and a bit more. Yeah. So uh, we've, we've. So if you get those extra passengers, somebody else has to lose out again. If if the you know tree car trick around the transfer passengers doesn't materialise, somebody else will have to lose out, right? Well, uh, we believe that the transfer passenger, and we wouldn't call it a trick at all. I think it's a it's a genuine. We think it's a genuine 
and correct approach to take from yeah. a planning perspe perspective that that will provide uh, certainly the, the just, headroom in, in, in this year. Just to be clear, Donald, the 9.7, does that include Aer Lingus Regional? Uh, no. It doesn't, right. No. How many would Aer Lingus Regional go um, to the airport annually? Uh, the, a, a fraction of that. But talking a, half a million, a million? No, uh, a couple of million, yeah. A couple of million on top of that? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people would consider that to yeah. be an Aer Lingus service because it's badged that way. I know it's operated yeah. by Conor McCarthy's yeah. uh, airline, Emerald, yeah. but um, nonetheless, it's, it's badged and sold by Aer Lingus, yeah. isn't it? It is. It's uh, under the Aer Lingus brand, under a franchise okay. arrangement with, with... So effectively, you've, I mean, you've nearly 12 million passengers through Dublin Airport then. Yeah, and you know we're not the biggest airline uh, in the Ryan airport. Airs. Ryanair has the biggest capacity in the uh, in the airport currently. Yeah. yeah, used to be the other way around, wasn't it? Many years ago, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so where do where do you think this uh, uh, this goes? Will DAA be able to discount those transfer passengers? We believe that's the approach they should take. Uh, that is uh, an approach that is, uh, from our perspective, uh, robust and it's logical because, uh, as I said, those passengers aren't... But it's uh, open to challenge by uh, Fingal, I presume. Well, it is, a, it is a, a, a discussion that has to be had from a regulatory perspective, absolutely. Right. Okay. Donald Moriarty, thank you for joining us. Thank you. We're going to take a short break now. When I return, I'll be joined from Davos by Umber Kennedy of the Irish Times. How can harnessing the power of AI help drive your business? At EY, we combine leading business expertise with cutting-edge technology and capabilities. Working directly with you to plan your strategy, we will accelerate your AI-enabled transformation. To learn more, visit ey.ai forward slash IE. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. The World Economic Forum kicked off on Monday in the Swiss resort of Davos with the great and good of business and world leaders coming together. Owen Burke Kennedy is there for the Irish Times and he joined me on the line. I began by asking Owen to give us some of the main highlights so far from the event. Well, first, it's very difficult as a newbie. It's my first year just to find your way around. There is literally blockades at the end of every street. There's different colour-coded passes that get you in some places and not in other places. And there's just... Uh, a veritable warren of uh, meeting rooms and congress halls and uh, podcast centres. And it's, it's just incredible to see. I mean, there's actually 400 journalists here alone. So it's, it's, it's a huge event. And I suppose, you know, it, it's probably the biggest event in the world, in the world where political leaders meet uh, business leaders. And they're all here. Um, you know, it's really just a who's who of, of world politics and, and business. So... It's been fascinating. The two big key themes, obviously, is our conflict and the emergence of AI. And you can feel a kind of breakdown uh, in terms of business leaders talking up uh, the productive capacity of AI and political leaders highlighting the dangers, the level of misinformation online and the sort of risks AI poses to elections with, you know, 40 elections happening this year, 2024 is going to be one of the most politically volatile years we've had for some time. Now, you were listening, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the uh, Ukraine leader, was one of those uh, speaking yesterday. What did he have to say? Yeah, so the Ukrainian leader was really top billing yesterday. Um, he arrived uh, in the main Congress hall to give a speech, a main kind of forum keynote address, and there was an absolute media scrum around him, and he was dressed in his customary you know, dark uh, sweatshirt with the Ukrainian national emblem embroidered on the chest. Um, and he gave a, a, made a, a real impassioned plea uh, 
you know, to Western countries not to fall off in their support for Ukraine. He lambasted Vladimir Putin as a terrorist and a predator and said, actually, interesting enough, that Western fears about um, escalating the war was damaging his country's effort to repel Russia. He also then basically made a very poignant, uh, you know, call in saying that um, when he's looking for economic support and he said by supporting Ukraine economically, you are pursuing, uh, you know, your own self-interest in terms of security. So what he meant by that is basically, you know, help Ukraine economically and that will help with Europe's security. And he also met with a number of different business leaders and I did a piece in the paper today just about his uh, meeting with Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan Chase and reputedly it was it was on the fringes of the meeting but uh, Jamie Dimon just went, I'm Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase, God bless you. That was how he introduced himself to the Ukrainian leader but he was definitely top billing at yesterday's event. Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, European Commission President also made a very powerful speech in which she um, suggested that Russia had completely failed in its uh, invasion of Ukraine, failed militarily, been pushed back out of half the territories that they initially claimed, failed diplomatically because Finland and Sweden, uh, neutral countries, are now joining NATO, um, and failed economically because it's now completely reliant on China for exports. So that was a pretty powerful speech yesterday as well. Yeah, sure. And interest rates have been on the agenda. We had, what, about 18 months of significant interest rate increases by the main central banks to try and curb inflation. But the signals, uh, certainly coming up towards the end of last year, were that the Fed and the ECB were going to start dropping rates this year. But there's actually been some counter-narrative to that. As Davos, tell us about it. Yeah. Well, I think there's a general agreement that there's going to be a soft landing. Now, there is a notable number of economists that, that go against that. But there's going to be a soft landing in terms of we're going to have to see weaker growth uh, throughout 2024. Now, the question is um, the fact that we're not seeing a recession and the fact that, you know, labor markets are still relatively strong. And you can see that's the case in Ireland. GDP might have gone backwards, but, you know, our, our national indicators uh, are still relatively robust. So there was a hope uh, by the markets, really, that, you know, the ECB and the Fed might start cutting rates in the first quarter of 2024, but that's just gone away now. And in fairness, even before Davos, um, you know, the signals were that that was just too premature. So there's a lot of suggestions now that even the optimistic notion of a rate cut by June is now looking optimistic and it may be pushed off till September. And of course, then we've had two inflation signals in the last few days um, suggesting inflation's going going up again. Now, that's not viewed as very significant. There's kind of statistical noise in the middle of that. And it was always going to be a bumpy ride coming down. It was never going to just go straight down. So the narrative here is that you're not going to see interest rates cut for some months just yet. Now, the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath, is in Davos, and you got the opportunity to have a sit-down with him. What did he have to say? Yeah, he was um, he's speaking on two different panels, one on, on the impact of climate change and another on economic disruption. He's also really, and this is the, the core of Davos and the heart of, of, of its if, if their very being, really, is he's due to meet um, dozens of different political and business leaders, but mainly business leaders, and he'll be sending them the message that Ireland is still the leading location for foreign direct investment. If not in Europe, one of the leading locations in the world. Uh, he's just back from a trip, uh, he told me, for, uh, to Silicon Valley in California, where he uh, met the leaders of several uh, big tech and life sciences companies uh, who have big operations in Ireland. He gave them the same message. 
So he's pretty positive about where the economy is. Um, he's also, uh, you know, he, he thinks the economy is, is pretty resilient um, and that although we'll see a period of slower growth, um, we're not going to see a recession. And he's pretty confident that inflation is coming down. Um, so pretty positive in terms of the macroeconomic environment. But Davos, you know, even when Zelensky was speaking yesterday and, and I talked about the media scrum and the attention he was getting, if you panned around to the rest of the Congress hall, there was literally thousands of people who were, you know, drinking coffee, eating uh, smoked salmon, who were all presumably, uh, you know, chatting and doing deals and networking. And, and I think that's really what a lot of the leaders are here for. Um, a lot of the panel discussions are neither here nor there. A lot of the keynote addresses are typical political leader addresses. They don't really shed much light on anything. So it really is a networking uh, summit. And what about other Irish interests at Davos? Is Leo Varadkar going to be there? Leo Varadkar is speaking at an AI discussion tomorrow. Pascal Donoghue is also in tomorrow. I'm not sure which panel he's on. So they're the three main ministers coming. And then tonight, uh, IDA is holding uh, hosting a dinner and Mike McGrath will be speaking at that. So they are kind of, if you like, leading the, the, the kind of networking from an Irish business perspective, and Michael McGrath will be fitting in. Um, and he told me that they have a number of uh, target companies that they wanted to talk to over the next two days or so. So it's, it'll be a busy few days for government ministers. Yeah. And, of course, you could potentially be in an election year, Owen. Yeah, and I asked uh, Minister McGrath about that. There was a notion uh, maybe a year back that with the macroeconomic environment in Ireland relatively stable, but uh, budget surpluses, full employment, uh, growth slowing but still not negative, that they might plump for an election in 2024. Now, that's gone away uh, in his eyes. He said that he wanted... Now, it's not in his gift. It's obviously Leo Varadkar's gift to, to, to call it, but he said he would like the government to serve the full, uh, you know... Um, electoral cycle, which brings it up to March 2025. So Michal Martin has been on record as saying the same thing. He thinks that there's a lot of, you know, global uncertainty out there. He also feels that progress on housing, which has been slow but is emerging, will um, be better seen in, in 12 months' time. And of course, it gives him one more budget as well to get through. Yes, and he thinks the coalition parties will, you know, have... Um, I suppose, a better story to tell in 12 months' time. Um, now, you know, this time last year in Davos, we presumed we were heading for a pretty sizable recession on the back of higher interest rates. It didn't turn out that way. A year later, the economic worries have been overtaken by geopolitical tensions, and that's dominating a lot of the discussions out here. So will they eventually impact the macroeconomic environment? It's very uncertain. Yeah, let's see how it plays out. Umber Kennedy, thank you for joining us from Davos. Okay, thanks. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Donald Moriarty and Umber Kennedy for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on X, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world.